expect and want life to be full of joy, especially our holiday time. We want it just to be full of of lots of excitement, and we want everything to be just right. And in fact, this is what makes up pretty much every Hallmark movie, is that uh, everyone wants a picture-perfect story, but what actually happens at the holidays is far from picture-perfect. Too often, actually, we, we in life can feel like we're nothing but martyrs to the struggles of life. We're kind of stuck in the middle of this muck, this mire, this mud, misfortune, misery. It can feel as we, we spend just endless years or even days just waiting on the Lord for Him to speak under the mounting pressures of our mortal lives, and, and our faith then begins to wane, to wither to be weathered. We begin to wrestle with it. It wears us out. There's many things that cause disappointments in life and hurts. And what might cause disappointments and hurts for you may not cause hurt and disappointment for you. But like I said, especially at Christmas, our world, our culture believes that that Christmas should be anything but muck, mire, mud, misfortune, and misery, right? I mean, Christmas should be full of joy. We, we believe that it should be anything but misfortune and misery. It should be excitement. And as a result of that, though, because we know the reality, around this time, a lot of companies begin to try to find ways to uh, market themselves by providing joy for others. You know, if you watch TV or pay attention to viral YouTube videos, you know that around this time there are many commercials of companies that are trying to bring joy to a hard season by doing Christmas surprises to their customers. In fact, there's a musician, his name's Kid Rock, he just went in and paid almost a million dollars of layaway stuff in Walmart for people in Nashville. And that makes news, and, and he does it right to promote himself, but at the end of the day he's also working on bringing joy to others. There are thousands of videos like this of, of friends that are reunited at the holiday times, fathers that are brought home, bills that are paid off, gifts that are given, homes that are surprisingly remodeled. And, and these kind of things go viral every year. Our human nature, I think, loves these videos, and, and they kind of spark this joy in us because for some reason we think that Christmas is full of perfection. Our human nature loves these because we think, even though we know they're part of some elaborate marketing technique, we think that there needs to be joy. In the middle of muck and mire and misfortune, mud and misery, we might just catch a glimpse of something better. How many people have ever spent holidays away from their families? It is not easy. At a few points, I spent a few holidays 2,658.8 miles away for my parents. And, and during those times, it didn't feel the same. I longed to be with them, right? And even though I hate snow and colder weather, when you're spending uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas in, in Southern California, it just didn't quite feel the same. The presence of another person can bring us so much joy as we walk through the muck, the mire, the misfortunes, and the misery of life. Now, in the, in the video clip I'm about to show, Cricket Wireless realizes this, and they realize that how much joy can bring somebody to us. So here, you're going to see some families that 
think they're entering into a Sprint, I mean a Cricket wireless store, which is a cell phone carrier, and they think that they're going in there to try out some new virtual reality experience. And what they end up finding is the love of their loved one. We're doing something miraculous today. We're reuniting families that haven't seen each other in a really, really long time. Three families, two from Mexico and one from Canada, and we're bringing them here to film a little virtual reality scenario in the woods. My oldest daughter, she moved three years ago. So it is, it's, it's a huge adjustment, you know, for me to not have my kids around. <laughs> I haven't seen them for 10 years. We cannot wait to see them. We want to hug them, kiss them, uh, tell them how much we love them. Y también de que conozcan a Josh, no en videollamada, en carne y hueso. <laughs> In this video, they're gonna come out behind the trees and walk up to the camera and surprise their family members who are watching the VR scenario in the cricket store. Have you ever done VR stuff? It's crazy. Pictures live, pictures live. Then we're gonna go in and do it. The VR thing. You guys ready for this? Right now, I'm getting really, really nervous. This oh, we better. So cool. They have no idea. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Cricket Wireless. How you guys doing? Are you here for the VR experience? See. Sí. Sí. Okay. Perfecto. Pueden venir aquí. Cool. Is it scary? No, no, it's not no, scary. no, 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 not scary at all. <laughs> guys, kind of know what this is, right? Virtual reality. Yeah. Okay, one, two, three. I feel like I'm there. This is so cool. It feels like real life. Thank you so much for, for that moment. Una sorpresa, no? Para mí, una gran bendición. Was great to be able to come around the corner and be able to to see her. 
I still had the goggles on when I turned around and I saw them. I was like, there's no way they're here. Gracias por esta oportunidad. Ha sido maravilloso. Thank you, Cricket. Wireless and Alcatel for bringing my mother and my family back to me. So here are some families. Here are some families that are tricked into visiting a cell phone store. And, and they think they're going in there just to experience this virtual reality thing. And, and as they're watching it, they're like, whoa, this is so cool. You can almost touch the trees, right? And they turn the edge, and all of a sudden, they begin to see this recorded video message from their loved ones, which catches them by surprise. And, and as they take their goggles off, they are surprised as their loved ones actually enter the store. And some of them had not seen their loved ones in 10 years. We believe our loved ones should be with us for Christmas because Christmas is the story of God being with us. Christmas isn't, though, the story of family and the way that they gather with us at Christmas. It's the story of a God who left his form to be present with us in ours. And this is the greatest story that we should be telling. Now, I love when they're trying to look for the virtual realities and they think that they can actually touch the trees. Like that one girl's like, it's almost so real that you can touch it. And, and she tries to touch it, and, and she was just getting glimpses of that reality. Even though their, their loved ones, uh, uh, they didn't see them coming, they just kind of caught these glimpses, and they weren't really there in real life. In many ways, in the time of Mary and Joseph, people were stuck in their virtual reality. They saw glimpses of what God was up to. They knew he was doing something. But man, he felt so distant from them. Felt like he was on the other side of the country, that he was so quiet that he couldn't connect with them. And, and they saw these virtual reality glimpses of him. But, but God, they longed for God to be present with them. What was louder than their joy and their hope was this, was this sense of God's distance. And, and there was pain. And there was hurt. And and God's people at this time of the story of Christmas were really withering and waning and feeling wearied and weathered and wrestled with faith under the mounting pressures of their mortal lives. Then, bam, God really shows up, and he shows up as his baby, and he begins to write the greatest story ever told that God is with us. However, too many people miss out on that reality. They missed out what God was doing in that Christmas story. I love this guy right here because when he sees his uh, mom coming in, I mean, when his mom sees him coming in, or yeah, when he sees his mom coming in, you know, he goes, I thought for a minute I still had the goggles on. Like, he, he didn't understand that, like, she was really there. And so she was coming in, and he was like, for a minute I thought I still had these goggles on it. And far too often, if he would have just kept thinking that way, he would have missed out on the chance to actually embrace his mom and that, her literal presence. And, and for too many at this time of the story of Christmas, that's what happened. They, they saw Jesus show up in the way that he did, and they, they thought the goggles were still on. This is just a glimpse. I don't know what's going on here, but this isn't a real thing. And they did not embrace the beautifulness of God with us. Yet in the middle of this painful time, two people, Mary and Joseph, are able to stand the righteous test of their time and experience the greatest story ever told. And we're going to look at the story of Joseph this morning. We admire these people that seem to be able to really stand the test of time. We, we love telling the stories of the way that somebody has been able to 
to stay solid and stay in their faith in the middle of hardships. This morning, as we think about those people who can still hold it together in the middle of muck, in the middle of mire and misfortunes and misery, we're going to look at the story of Joseph. And Joseph is very much one of these people, somebody who the scriptures describe as honorable and obedient in the middle of a time when everyone else is waning and weathering and wrestling and withering out. As we look at the story of Joseph, we're going to see the martyr who's stuck in the middle of a time in which the political drama and the poverty of its time are affecting the lives of its people like nothing else. We'll see that Joseph is not only scripturally literate of his day, but he is scripturally obedient. The story of Mary as Jesus' mother, the one we looked at last week, is one of my favorites. Like, it's a crazy story that this little underage girl comes on the scene, and this crazy and supernatural, miraculous thing happens through her life. But sometimes what happens is, because that story is so crazy, we end up undermining the story of Joseph. In fact, where Mary's story seems crazy and and just miraculous, sometimes we look at Joseph and think of him as kind of the safe guy or the mundane guy. We almost package Joseph as nothing but somebody who's along with Mary for the ride. Now, it's easy to downplay Joseph if you think about it. We don't really know anything about him. If it wasn't for Luke, I mean, for Matthew, we really wouldn't even know anything about him. Matthew's the only person that kind of tells us a little bit more about him. Unlike Mary, who we see the other Gospels talk about from time to time, and Jesus makes his disciples promise that he's going to care for that, they're going to care for her. Like, we don't learn anything else about Joseph. And for the most part, historians just kind of rationalize that he must have died But I think that we underplay this guy when he has so much to teach us about what it means to live obediently and honorable. Think with me for a minute. Joseph was engaged to Mary before God had told Mary his plan. Yes, God chose Mary, but he also took the time to choose Joseph. He was also choosing Joseph. Though Joseph plays no part of Mary's pregnancy, it is still Joseph who God entrusts to care for Mary at this time and raise Jesus and invest invest in him in disciple-making and father-like ways. In fact, Joseph's importance is so highlighted, his importance is so highlighted by Matthew that when Matthew tracks the genealogy of Jesus, he doesn't do it through Mary. You know, that is peculiar. Matthew, as he's writing to his Jewish audience, tracks the history of Jesus through Joseph, somebody who had no part in the creation of Jesus. It's also through Joseph's encounter that we learn that Jesus is this fulfillment of God with us. And the scriptures as a witness uh, that Joseph was a man of God. He was honorable. He was committed. He was surrendered. And he was obedient. So while I do know that we don't know much about Joseph, I know that we don't need to know much about Joseph. What we need to know about Joseph is before us, and the importance is that we need more men like him, men who are honorable, who are committed and surrendered and obedient. In fact, we might even say we don't just need men like that. We need women like that, too, who are honorable, who are committed, who are surrendered and obedient. Last week, we saw how Mary's surrender teaches us that God longs to do the impossible in our lives, to make it now possible so that he can write through us a story of impossibilities. 
and the week before, we saw how in God's favor, he loves to pour his favor out on us so he can take that broken thing in our lives and redeem it. As we looked at the story of Zachariah and, and, and Elizabeth, and, and we saw how he redeemed their brokenness to tell the greatest story ever told. And this morning, we're going to see how Joseph has much to teach us on what it means to be obedient. In fact, I think his story is anything but comfortable on Monday. Our series, The Greatest Story Ever Told, has been this, exploring the greatest story ever told through refreshed eyes, a story that never grows old and needs to be contagiously and virally told over and over again. Now, too often we like to spread gossip or a rumor or some news and, and, or a viral video, good read with our friends and neighbors, but we find ourselves uh, quiet when it comes to the greatest story ever told. I believe that not only did this story change the world, but it longs to again. And I believe as we look around, the stage is set. People are longing for answers. The, the world is looking to celebrate Christmas with meaning. The act is ready to go on. Are you ready to enter? This morning we continue our series by looking up Matthew 1, 18 through 25. And as we hop over uh, from Luke's account to Matthew, I want to look at the character of Joseph. And so pay attention as we read through it. Um, and, and just think about uh, what stands out to you about Joseph, this guy that we normally see as comfortable and mundane and that we overlook. This morning as we wrestle with what it means to live as martyrs in the middle of muck and mire and misery, mud and misery, misfortune, pay attention to Joseph because he stands out in a time like this. In fact, I might even ask you to think as we read through the scripture, what mighty thing in your life do you feel that is trying to make you a martyr? What is just beating you down? What is getting you stuck in the muck and the mire? What is that one thing that seems like it's opposing you at every edge? Because I think as we think about that, Matthew 1, 18 through 25 has a lot to teach us on what it means to live honorably and obedient in a world that is waning. And about the passage we're about to read, Michael J. Wilkins says this, while Luke focuses on Mary's obedience and submission to the angelic announcement of stupendous events, Matthew emphasizes Joseph's likewise remarkable character. In the situation of finding his betrothed wife pregnant, he knows he is not the father, right? It's not like Star Wars where Darth Vader says, I am your father, right? Like Joseph is not the father. But once the, analogy, the angelic announcement is made, Joseph is immediately obedient and he will be the father throughout the infancy account. So the birth of Jesus took Christ, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. His mother Mary had been promised to Joseph in marriage, but before they were married, Mary realized that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Her husband Joseph was an honorable man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the marriage agreement with her secretly. Now let me just pause here for a minute. He was an honorable man. Or if you read the King James, it says he was a just man. Early on I said that we need more people like Joseph in our lives. And let me just tell you, this first trait that Matthew points out is exactly what I mean by that. Joseph has been arranged to meet Mary. To marry Mary, right? Let's say that three times fast. Like he, uh, a year ago, was arranged through some type of backroom dealings between dads. And, and over that year, they begin to fall in love. 
and it's like this long year engagement. And then there's the wedding proper where they actually get married and move in together. And during that year, there are two things that these couples are supposed to do. They're supposed to fall in love, and they're supposed to make sure that there's no hanky-panky, which is why they waited a whole year so that they would know if there was anything done wrong, it would show during that time. So here Joseph's been arranged to marry Mary. He's learning to love her. And there's this long engagement that they've kind of stuck through. And, and so much so that they even refer to each other. If you read the NIV or the King James, you'll see language that says divorced and his wife. Like, because during this long year engagement, they were actually considered husband and wife, even though they didn't live together. In fact, if you would get divorced, I mean, if you would break up during that time, it was considered a divorce. And legally, you could say you were a widow or a widower. So that's how important this time is. It's how honorable this time is. It was treated with the utmost respect. So during this time, you know, uh, we, we see Joseph waiting, and all of a sudden, Mary learns she's pregnant. Now, I'd love to imagine what this conversation would have been like. Joseph, yes, Mary, you know I love you. Yeah, I love you too, Mary. Joseph, I can't wait to, you know, we be together and then we can start a family. Yeah, I'm waiting for that too. This year is taking a long time, you know what I mean? Joseph, just so you know, the Holy Spirit's giving us a jump on our family. Right? I mean, there is no way that conversation is going down easy no matter what it looks like. Can you imagine trying to tell somebody... You know this whole year period where we have to prove we haven't done anything wrong? All of a sudden, I got this thing going on. There's no way that conversation's going down easy. Now, at the time, Jewish law dictate did what? What could have happened to Mary? There's a, by law, it was allowed that she would be stoned. Now, the chances of that actually happened are really few because at the time, Rome had op- occupied uh, Jerusalem and, and all the Jewish lands. And so Rome wasn't really allowing them to practice these things, but it doesn't mean there weren't any back alley stonings. But, uh, you know, for, the, for sure, Mary would have been really big in trouble. This was a big deal. In fact, such a trespass as this could brand you for life. And in the same way that maybe like a felony would brand us and follow us throughout our lives, or maybe bankruptcy, or something that defines us in other people's eyes. Joseph wasn't just hurt by this news. He could have had his name ruined. Now, most of us would probably actually be pretty hurt. Think about your loved ones or someone that you've been in a relationship with, and if they came and showed this sort of unfaithfulness, you'd probably be a little upset. But because Joseph is honorable, even though he is most likely hurt, he doesn't take revenge. He doesn't try to hurt back. He doesn't uh, in any way try to undermine or underplay the dignity of Mary. He doesn't want to hurt Mary the same way that she hurt him. That is honor. Could you do that? This is a pretty big deal in this time. What does Joseph sound like here? Who does he sound like? Someone that respects somebody even though they hurt him. His son, Jesus, right? Like, hello, like father, like son. We're beginning to see some interesting traits already. Jesus turns the other cheek, and, and Joseph does the same thing 
right here. The same thing his son, which will do when they nail him to a cross. Joseph, the man who is picked to be the father of Jesus, models already for us what it means to be honorable. He models for us already the heart of the father, and that is that he can uphold the dignity of the trespasser. Now, I'm a theologically convinced pacifist, but I'm human. You're human. Somebody hurts you, what's the first thing you want to do? You want revenge. You want to hurt him back, right? But Joseph is honorable. The word there means to be righteous and observant of God's law. It, it means to be wholly conformed to the will of God. Joseph honored God so much so with his being and with his heart and with his mind and with his living that he was conformed to the way of God. That is an amazing sense of honor. Even though he was hurt, he didn't hurt back. He didn't want her stoned or arrested. In fact, at this time, to break up a relationship, the only way to do it legally was getting three witnesses. Now, I'm not sure what those witnesses had to do, but it would be like me going over here and saying, Mary and Nevin, I need you to come with me. Betty, I need you to come with me. you got to see, my wife is pregnant, and we need to cut this thing off. And then there was a public announcement of it. How did Joseph want to break it? Secretly, which was not allowed by the law. Joseph is just. He's in love with the law. But what is greater than the law in the life of Joseph? Honor. The dignity of the trespasser. So Joseph had in his mind that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. The angel said to him, Joseph, descendant of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife. She is pregnant by the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus, which means he saves, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, there's lots of jokes about how men and women think differently. Men are know-it-alls, and women are feel-it-all or indecisive, right? And, and there are, that's the punchline to pretty much every relationship joke. Joseph is no different. Joseph had this in his mind. He had his mind made up, some versions say. Joseph knew what he had to do. Honor is the holy thing to do. I know what I need to do. He had his mind solidified on what he had to do. There was no question. He wasn't going to change his mind. He wasn't indecisive. He had his mind made up, and he, and he goes to bed with clarity. But because he lives in such a surrendered way, in the middle of his sleep, he has this dream. Now, I'm sure that there's been many times where you've heard somebody say, I'm doing this, and this is what the Holy Spirit told me to do. And you're sitting over here, and you go, yo, that ain't the Holy Spirit. And, and then there's this standoff, right? Like, is the Holy Spirit saying this, or is the Holy Spirit saying this? And, and what happens then is either no one heard the Spirit, or one of them is wrong. Now, I believe the Holy Spirit always brings clarity where there is confusion. And we see that modeled right here, that the Holy Spirit is heard in community. Mary says, I'm pregnant with the Holy Spirit. Joseph says, I have it in my mind what I need to do. And that ain't it, right? I'm breaking this off. So he goes to bed, but he wakes up surrendered. And see, because Mary was surrendered to the Holy Spirit, because Joseph was to surrender to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has instruments in which he can work with, and he brings clarity to them. There's not this battle or the separation of ways like, I know what the Holy Spirit said, or I know what the Holy Spirit said. 
what we see is that it is tested in community when both people are surrendered to the Holy Spirit. On top of the way that we see the Holy Spirit bring clarity to those in surrender, we see that the angel confirms Mary's crazy and miraculous story. And it's Joseph's job then to name Jesus. Joseph is not just along for the ride. He has some pretty important parts. That was an important part of Jewish culture. I always say it's easier to, uh, it's harder to name a kid than make a kid, right? I mean, there is some great significance. You guys can laugh at that, right? Come on. It's easier to name, it's harder to name a kid than it is to make a kid. And so there's so much significance in naming our kids. Joseph is not along for the ride like we make him out to be. It's his job to name him, to commit to him, to invest in him. He's the one that will announce that God is with us. Now all this happened so that the Lord had spoken through the prophet had come true. This is, Mary, this is not the angel talking. This is just Matthew filling in some commentary. He says, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him to do. Favorite trait of Joseph right here. Pay attention to it. He went to bed with his mind made up, but he was in surrender. So what happened is the Holy Spirit appeared to him in a dream. Gabriel was able to show up and go, bam, like, hey, this thing's for real. And then the minute Joseph wakes up, seemingly doesn't even brush his teeth or anything, right? I mean, it says soon as he wakes up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him to do. That's obedience. He didn't, he didn't go, hey, John, check out this crazy dream I had last night. I mean, I dreamed that Mary was actually pregnant with the Holy Spirit. Like, isn't that crazy? I mean, so do you think that dream is prophetic or anything? He doesn't do that. He doesn't go... Oh, man, I should not have had those bagels before bed. And, and, and he's not questioning. He wakes up and he does. He wakes up and he does. He doesn't stop and go, I'm going to look like that dude who couldn't wait the whole year. He gets up and he goes aware that, that everything is on the line. His name, his reputation, his friends, his his, uh, the way that business works will work with him. Now, can you and I model that kind of living? Are we that obedient? Are we that surrendered to even hear that clarity? Now, Matthew offers a little commentary here just saying, hey, this is the promise that Isaiah heard generations before, that the virgin will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. In the middle of these hard times, God was truly with him. And so Joseph gets up and he takes Mary to be his wife. He did not have marital relations with her before she gave birth to a son. Joseph named the child Jesus. Now during that time, it was Jewish custom that men were not supposed to lay with their pregnant wives. And so Joseph honors this Jewish custom because he's full of honor. Everything he does is surrendered to honoring the ways of God. Now obviously, we can imply that once Jesus was born, it was all bars off for Joseph. But what we saw is that Joseph never sold out. He never sold out. He kept his word and he kept his honor to the birth of Jesus. Now, if I was turning this to a sermon for men, I would say this. Live honorable and righteous, uphold justice and dignity, 
Live in submission and surrender. Live out commitment and obedience. Never sell out or surrender or settle. That's the kind of men and women we need in our church, right? Joseph models in these few verses something we should take great note of. Now, if we were living that kind of way at Christmas time, what would the neighbors around us say about the Christmas story? They wouldn't say, those people don't really know their Jesus. They wouldn't say, man, they don't live up to their word. They would look different at what we claim is the greatest story of them all. But that isn't the message of the story. William Barclay does justice to it in ways that I never could. He says there's so much in his chapter than the crude fact that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin mother. The essence of Matthew's story is that the birth of Jesus, it, the Spirit of God was operative as never before in the world. It is the Spirit who enables men to recognize the truth when they see it. It was the Spirit who was God's agent in the creation of the world. It is the Spirit who alone can recreate the human soul when it has lost the life it ought to have, when they're withered, wane, waning, right? Jesus enables us to see what God is and what man ought to be. Jesus. Jesus opens the eyes of our minds so that we can see the truth of God for us. This is this confession that we sing in our Christmas song. Hark now, hear an angel sing, a new baby is born today, a man who will live forevermore because of Christmas Day. It is confessed through songs like, O little town of Bethlehem, as we sing, O holy child of Bethlehem, descend to us, come to us, cast out our sin and enter in. Teach us what it means to be surrendered, be born to us today. We hear the Christmas angels, the great glad tidings tell, O come to us, abide with us. This morning as we reflect on this story, I think there's just five notes that we can take away that help us to remember what it means to live with the truth of God with us in the greatest story ever told. And I encourage you to flip over to the back side of your bulletin, and we'll move through them quickly. First, in surrender, God will be with us to bring clarity. Oop, that's not right. There we go. God is removed from our lives. Hmm? Oh, sorry. God... I messed up my papers and now I'm a little thrown off. God is not removed from our lives, but longs to reveal himself to be with us. So often we get in this mindset that God is in heaven and we're down here and we have to ask Jesus to be with us or we have to wait for that final day where we get to be with him. The promise of this story is that God is not far away. God comes with us. He doesn't take us out of our suffering. He comes to be present with us. In surrender, God will be with us to bring clarity to difficult tensions and situations. Now, Joseph had his mind made up, but he had to live in surrender so he could hear the Holy Spirit. He didn't hold on to that thing going, I know Mary didn't hear the Holy Spirit, even though I had that crazy dream, right? He lived in surrender where he was willing to admit he was wrong. Now, the scriptures don't play this out, but I'm sure there was a conversation that went like this. Hey, Mary... I was, uh, I was wrong. You were right. And Mary says, you better get used to saying that because that's going to happen a whole bunch, right? <laughs> Remember, the angel came to me first, right? There had to be another awkward conversation. In surrender, 
God will be with us to bring clarity. God invites us out of the foe's salvation of comfort to be with us in the challenging spaces of his salvation. You know, sometimes we think everything's okay or we're safe or that everything around us defines our salvation. But what we see here is Joseph finds salvation. He finds it when he goes and steps into an uncomfortable space where he's willing to surrender his name, where he's willing to give it all up, where he's willing to actually marry Mary, even though it means the end of everything comfortable. Salvation is not found in comfort, but in the challenging spaces, because in those challenging spaces is where Jesus can be with us. We actually have no desire for him to be with us in comfort for some reason. But we're in those challenging spaces. It's where we're vulnerable enough for him to be present. Now, when God calls us to something or births something new in our lives, we must act in obedience, right? Joseph, it says, when he woke up, he went and did. We must not just be literate of the gospel. We must not just be biblically literate, as John Wimber used to say. We also must be literate. Uh, biblically obedient. We must get up and do. We must live in surrender. Lastly, God promises his hopeful presence with us as we live in the mort- as martyrs in the muck, the mire, the misfortunes, the mud, and the misery. Life is full of disappointments. Sometimes God can feel distant and silent. What are your disappointments this morning? Where this morning do you feel like you are hurt or you need healing? Where do you feel that you are stuck and you are in the middle of muck and mire and misfortune and misery and mud? God's promise isn't that he's going to come and take us out of that. That's, That's really bad theology. But rather, the story of Christmas reminds us what good theology is. In the middle of that stuff, who comes in? And he comes to be present with us. That is the story of his birth. It is the story of his death, that he longs to be with us in suffering. I think some of us this morning probably have some hurt and healing that we need prayer for. And I'll be up here for a little bit during the last song. And for the rest of us, the greatest story ever told is the one that is told told by ordinary people who live honorably, who live in submission, who live in surrender, and allow their lives to proclaim the truth that God is with us. And that transforms who we are. It transforms how we live. It transforms maybe even the way we give gifts to our loved ones or the way we celebrate Christmas, because at the core of everything we are is this transforming reality that God is with us.